Chapter Twelve of Camping in the Canadian Rockies. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Betty B. Camping in the Canadian Rockies by Walter Wilcox. Chapter Twelve. Sources of the Bow, the Little Fort Pass, Magnificence of the Scenery mount murchison camp on the divide a high mountain ascent future of the bow lakes return down the bow search for a pass remarkable agility of pack horses the bay and the pinto mountain solitudes mount hector difficult nature of johnston creek a blinding snowstorm forty mile creek mount edith pass a fine trout stream entered the lake near our camp this was in fact the bow river it held a meandering course a short distance before entering the lake through a level meadow or rather an open region thickly grown over with alder bushes and other shrubby plants we were delayed at this camp by a period of unsettled weather with occasional storms and strong winds so that three days were required to finish our explorations at length on the twenty fourth of august we broke camp and followed the bow valley northwards towards the source of the river the valley preserves its wide character to the head of the pass and is unusual among all the mountain passes for several reasons the ascent to the summit is very gradual and constant the valley is wide and the country is quite open in about two hours we came to the summit and after a long level reach the slope insensibly changed and the direction of drainage was reversed this was a most delightful region the smooth valley bottom sloped gradually upward toward the mountains on the east and west and insensibly downward toward the valleys north and south thus making an extensive region with gentle slopes curving in two directions which in some way impresses the mind with a sense of quiet grandeur and indefinite liberty but chiefly this region of the divide is made charming by a most beautiful arrangement of the trees there are no forests here nor do the trees grow much in groves or clumps but each tree stands apart at a long interval from every other so that the branches spread out symmetrically in every direction and give perfect forms and beautiful outlines between are smooth meadows quite free of brush but crowded with flowering plants herbs and grasses so that the general impression is that of a gentleman's park under the control and care of a landscape gardener rather than of the undirected efforts of nature i shall never forget the first view we had into the valley of the saskatchewan approaching a low ridge at the south side of the valley suddenly there is revealed a magnificent panorama of glaciers lakes and mountains unparalleled among the canadian rockies for its combination of grandeur and extent to the south one beholds the end of an immense glacier at the termination of which there are two great arched caverns in the ice from out these issue two roaring glacial streams the source of the saskatchewan river or at least of its longest tributary called the little fork lofty mountains hem in this glacier on either side 
only revealing a portion of the vast neve which may be seen extending southward for six or seven miles to the north and as it were at our feet though in reality a thousand feet below lay a large and beautiful lake with irregular outlines this lake reaches several miles down the valley of the little fork which here extends northward so straight and regular that the view is only limited at the distance of thirty miles by the long range of mountains on its east side dr hector who came through this region in the fall of eighteen fifty eight comments on the magnificent extent and grandeur of this view through a notch in a mass of mountains to the north there appeared the extreme summit of mount murchison a very sharp and angular rock peak which the indians regard as the highest mountain of the canadian rockies according to some rough angles taken by dr hector this mountain has an altitude of thirteen thousand five hundred feet in palliser's papers a sketch of this mountain as seen from the summit of the pipestone pass makes the rock peak much more sharp and striking in appearance even than that of mount assiniboine or of mount sir donald in the selkirks we continued our journey over the pass and descended into the valley of the little fork for several miles the trail was very good though the descent was remarkably steep we camped by a small narrow lake in reality merely an expansion of the little fork behind us was an area of burnt timber but southward the forests were in their primeval vigor and the mountains rose to impressive heights above the weather became rather dubious and during the night there was a fall of rain followed by colder weather so that our tent became frozen stiff by morning it seemed best to return the next day to the summit of the pass where everything conspired to make an ideal camping place accordingly the men packed the horses and we located our camp on the crest of the divide six thousand three hundred and fifty feet above sea level the tent was pitched in a clump of large trees surrounded on all sides by open meadows where one could wander for long distances without encountering rough ground or underbrush near the camp a small stream and several pools of clear water were all easily accessible the next day i induced peyto to ascend a mountain with me he was not used to mountain climbing and had never been any higher than the ridge that we were compelled to cross when we were walking around mount assiniboine which was less than nine thousand feet in altitude the peak which i had now in view lay just to the northeast from our camp on the pass it appeared to be between nine thousand and ten thousand feet high and offered no apparent difficulties on the lower part at least we left camp at eight thirty a m and passed through some groves of spruce and balsam where we had the good fortune to see several grouse roosting among the branches of the trees peyto soon brought them down with his six-shooter in handling which he always displays remarkable accuracy and skill many a time when on the trail i have seen him suddenly take his six-shooter and fire into a tall tree whereupon a grouse would come tumbling down with his neck severed or his head knocked off by the bullet a hawk scented our game and came soaring above us so that we had to hide our birds under a covering of stones 
as of course we did not care to take them with us up the mountain we found not the slightest difficulty in the ascent till we came near the summit the atmosphere was remarkably clear and some clouds high above the mountains rendered the conditions very good for photography at an altitude of nine thousand eight hundred feet we came to the summit of the arete which we were climbing and saw the highest point of the mountain about one-third of a mile distant and considerably higher fortunately a crest of snow connected the two peaks and with my ice-axe i knocked away the sharp edge and made a path in a few minutes we were across the difficult part and found an easy slope rising gradually to the summit we reached it at eleven thirty and found the altitude ten thousand one hundred twenty five feet the view from the great snow dome of this unnamed mountain was truly magnificent the waputek range could be seen through an extent of more than seventy-five miles while some of the most distant peaks of the selkirks must have been more than one hundred miles from where we stood to the east about ten miles was the high peak of mount hector almost touching the clouds in the northern part of the waputek range we saw some very high peaks though the clouds covered everything above eleven thousand feet there seemed to be a storm in that direction as snow could be discerned falling on the mountains about thirty miles distant the general uniformity of height and the absence of unusually high peaks a characteristic feature of the canadian rockies were very clearly revealed from this mountain peyto was overwhelmed with a magnificent panorama and said that he now appreciated as never before the mania which impels men to climb mountains the storm which we saw in the west and north passed over us toward evening in the form of gentle showers on the next day however the weather was perfectly clear and calm on the twenty sixth of august our horses were packed and our little procession was in motion early in the morning and we were wending our way down the bow river i cannot take leave of this region however even in imagination without a word in regard to the unusual attractiveness of this part of the mountains in the first place there are magnificent mountains and glaciers to interest the mountaineer and beautiful water scenes with endless combinations of natural scenery for the artist moreover the streams abound in brook trout and the lakes are full of large lake trout so numerous as to afford endless sport for fishermen the botanist the geologist and the general lover of science will likewise find extensive fields of inquiry open to him on every side the time of travelling required by us to reach the upper bow lake was about nine hours and this was with heavily laden pack-horses hitherto only those connected with the early explorations or the railroad surveys have visited this lake but i cannot look forward to the future without conjuring up a vision of a far different condition of things in a few years if i mistake not a comfortable building erected in a tasteful and artistic manner will stand near the shores of this lake on some beautiful site a steam launch and rowboats or canoes will convey tourists and fishermen over the broad waters of the lake and a fine coach road will connect this place with logan so that passengers may leave banff in the morning 
and after a ride of two hours by railroad they will be transferred to a coach and reach the upper bow lake in time for lunch if a good road were constructed this would not be impossible as the distance from logan is only about twenty miles and the total ascent one thousand feet with such visions of the future and the more vivid memory of recent experiences in mind we took leave of the beautiful sheet of water and continued on our way down the bow valley it was not our purpose however to return to logan directly for wilson had planned an elaborate route by which some of the wilder parts of the mountains might be visited this route would lead us over a course of about eighty or one hundred miles through the slate mountains and sawback range and eventually bring us to banff we were to follow a certain stream that enters the bow from the north but as we were now and had been for many days outside the region covered by dawson's map it was impossible to feel certain which stream we should take on our way up the bow river peyto had made exploring excursions into several tributary valleys but in every case these had proved to be hemmed in by precipitous mountain walls and guarded at the ends by impassable cliffs or large glaciers the second day after leaving the lake we came to a large stream which had not been examined hitherto though we were far from certain that this was the stream that had been indicated by wilson it seemed best to follow up the valley and see where we should come out after ascending an exceedingly steep bank we found easy travelling in a fairly open valley one fact made us apprehensive that there was no pass out of the valley there was no sign of a trail on either side of the stream and none of the trees were blazed indian trails exist in almost every valley where an available pass leads over the summit and where there are no trails the probability is that the valley is blind or in other words leads into an impassable mountain wall the valley curved around in such a manner that we could not tell what our prospects were but at about two o'clock we reached a place far above timberline a region of open moors absolutely treeless surrounded by bare mountains on every side our tent was pitched in a ravine near a small stream immediately after lunch peyto and i ascended a thousand feet on a mountain north of the valley with the purpose of discovering a pass from this point we saw mount hector due south and the remarkable mountain named mount moeller nearly due east three possible outlets from the valley appeared from our high elevation peyto set off alone to explore a pass toward the north in the direction of the pipestone pass while i made an examination of a notch toward the east each proved impossible for horses if not for human beings the third notch lay in the direction of mount hector and together we set out to examine it a walk of about two miles across the rolling uplands of this high region brought us to the pass it was very steep but an old indian trail proved that the pass was available for horses the trail appeared more like those made by the mountain goats than by human beings for it led up to a very rough and forbidding cliff where loose stones and long disuse had nearly obliterated the path we spent some time putting the trail in repair by rolling down tons of loose stones and making everything as secure as possible 
the next morning was threatening and gray watery clouds hung only a little above the summit of the lofty pass which was nearly eight thousand feet above sea level i started about an hour before the outfit as i desired to observe the horses climbing the trail i felt considerable anxiety as they approached all my photographic plates the result of many excursions and mountain ascents in a region where the camera had never before been used were placed on one of the horses for which purpose one of the most sure-footed animals had been selected in case of a false step and a roll down the mountainside the results of all this labor would be lost the horses however all reached the summit in safety these mountain pack horses reveal a wonderful agility and sagacity in such difficulties as this place presented in fact the several animals in my pack train had become old friends for they had been with me all summer peyto as packer always rode in the saddle for the dignity of this office never allows a packer to walk and besides from their physical elevation on a horse's back they can better discern the trail a venerable indian steed long-legged and lean but most useful in fording deep streams was peyto's saddle horse the bell mare followed next led by a head rope the other horses followed in single file and never allowed the sound of the bell to get out of hearing there were two horses in the train that were endowed with an unusual amount of equine intelligence and sagacity the larger of the two was known as the bay and the other was called pinto the latter being a name given to all horses having irregular white markings these animals were well proportioned with thick necks and broad chests and though of indian stock they probably had some infusion of spanish blood in their veins derived from the conquest of mexico the pinto was remarkably quick in selecting the best routes among fallen timber or in avoiding hidden dangers but the bay was far more affectionate and fond of human company in camp all the horses would frequently leave the pasture and visit the tent where they would stand near the fire to get the benefit of the smoke when the flies were thick or nose about in the hope of getting some salt on the trail it was always very interesting to watch the bay and pinto they would unravel a pathway through burnt timber in a better manner than their human leaders and would calculate in every case whether it were better to jump over a log or to walk around it but one day i was surprised to see the bay jump over a log which measured three feet ten inches above the ground with a heavy rigid pack this is more of a feat than to clear a much greater height with a rider in the saddle sometimes when the trail was lost we would put the pinto ahead to lead us and on several occasions he found the trail for us the summit of the pass revealed to us one of those lonely places among the high mountains where silence appears to reign supreme we were in an upland vale where the ground was smooth and rolling and carpeted with a short growth of grass and herbs on either side were bare cliffs of limestone unrelieved by vegetation or perpetual snow here no birds or insects broke the silence of the mountain solitude no avalanche thundered among the mountains and even the air was calm and made no sound in the scanty herbage all was silent as the desert or as the ocean in a perfect calm 
the dull tramp of our horses and the tinkling of the bell were the only sounds that interrupted the death-like quiet of the place it is said that such places soon drive the lost traveller to insanity but in company with others these lonely passes afford a delightful contrast to the life and motion and sound of lower altitudes as we advanced and commenced to descend the north side of mount hector began to appear it was completely covered with a great ice sheet and snowfields mount hector is a little more than eleven thousand feet in altitude and gives a good example of how the exposure to the sun affects the size of glaciers in these mountains on the south and west sides of mount hector there is almost no snow while the opposite slopes are flooded by a broad glacier many miles in area and brilliant in a covering of perpetual snow at the tree line a trail appeared and led us in rapid descent to the valley the scenery on all sides was magnificent many waterfalls came dashing down from the melting glaciers of mount hector and joined a torrent in the valley bottom the great cliffs about us and the lofty mountains visible here and there through avenues in the giant forest trees were illumined by a brilliant sun ever now and again breaking through the clouds about eleven o'clock we stopped to have a light lunch as was our custom on all long marches peyto loosed the girdle of the horses slipped off the packs and turned the animals into a meadow near by meanwhile our cook cut firewood and made a large pot of tea which always proved the most acceptable drink when a long march had made us somewhat weary these brief rests of about forty minutes in the midst of a day's march always proved very beneficial to men and horses a long straight valley led us southwards for many miles in every clear pool or stream trout could be seen darting about and seeking hiding places though we had no time to stop and catch them at about one o'clock we reached the pipestone creek and obtained a view of mount temple and other familiar peaks about fifteen miles to the south we camped near the stream in a meadow not far from the little pipestone creek as the march of this day had brought us back to the region covered by the map we had little apprehension of losing our way in the future the next day we followed up the little pipestone creek and enjoyed a fine trail through a dense forest we camped near the summit of a pass south of mount mccoon which i partially ascended after lunch the rugged peak named mount douglas lay due east and presented some very large and fine glaciers our camp was on a little peninsula jutting out into a lake with water of a most brilliant blue color the sunset colors this evening were heightened by the presence of a little smoke in the atmosphere which gave a deep copper color to the western sky while the placid lake appeared vividly blue in the evening light the following day which was the first of september we continued south over a divide and into the valley of baker creek which we followed for several hours and then took a branch stream which comes in from the east and finally camped in a high valley we were now in the sawback range where the mountains are peculiarly rugged and the strata thrown up at high angles the weather was giving evidence of an approaching storm and before we had made camp the next day in johnston's creek rain began to fall 
hitherto the nature of the country since leaving the upper bow lake had been such as to render the travelling very easy and delightful but from this point on we met with all sorts of difficulties in the lower part of johnston's creek and in the valley of a tributary which comes in from the northeast the trail was covered by fallen timber and our progress was very slow and tedious moreover the weather now became very bad and we were caught near the summit of a pass between baker creek and forty mile creek in a heavy snowstorm so that the trail was soon obliterated and the surrounding mountains could not be seen fearing that we might lose our bearings altogether peyto urged forward the horses at a gallop so that we might get over the pass before the snow gained much depth the descent into the valley of forty mile creek was very steep and we camped among some large trees with several inches of snow on the ground the next day we urged our horses on again and followed down the valley of forty mile creek in some parts of the valley we found absolutely the worst travelling i have anywhere met with in the rockies the horses were compelled to make long detours among the dead timber and the axe was frequently required to cut out a passageway frequent snow showers swept through the valley and though very beautiful to look at they kept the underbrush covered with damp snow and saturated our clothes with water in the afternoon we reached the summit of the mount edith pass and once more caught sight of the bow valley and the flat meadows near banff a fine wide trail or bridle path smooth and hard led us down toward the valley the contrast to our recent trails was very striking we walked between a broad avenue of trees each one blazed to such an extent that all the bark had been removed on one side of the tree and some were practically girdled this was very different from our recent experience where we had only found a small insignificant axe mark on some dead tree about once in every quarter mile or often none at all during hours of progress on the fifth of september we reached banff late in the evening and found that the valley was free of new snow by reason of its lower altitude we had been out for twenty-three days and had covered in all about one hundred and seventy-five miles end of chapter twelve